you've got an acorn in your hand. Now, you may not think of it this way, but this is a seed, right? Okay? It doesn't look like a seed, maybe. But when you put this into the ground, not a great time of year to plant right now, I'm sure, right? But it's 78 outside. Maybe it is. You put this into the ground. If it's good soil and if it gets water and if it gets sunshine, this little acorn's going to do what? What's it going to become? Y'all can answer. A tree, right? An oak tree. And it'll start out small, but then it'll start to grow these beautiful green leaves. And eventually, given enough time and sunshine and water, that tree will be taller than your house. And that tree one day will grow so big, perhaps, that it will give you shade from the sun and produce its own acorns, right? Now, now if you think about it, inside of this acorn, potentially, possibly, is, there's how many trees in here if you plant it and it grows? How many trees are inside this acorn? Yeah, one, one, right, yes, yes, one, okay. I, I went to Mississippi State, okay? I, I know that much, all right, we're good. But I want you all to think about this, kids and grown-ups. In this one acorn, there's actually the possibility, the potential for hundreds, thousands of trees, maybe more. Because every oak tree that grows up produces its own acorns, thousands upon thousands, and they will fall, and if they get into the ground, then they can produce their own tree and their own acorns. And over the course of time, this one little acorn that's in your hand right now could potentially be a whole world of oak trees. Isn't that crazy to think about? Now, we've spent the last few weeks talking a lot about Christmas and about the amazing thing that God did at Christmas. God took unknown people in very insignificant places, very small places, and he did his most glorious work right there through them. And even more than that, when God sends Jesus into the world, how does Jesus come into the world? As a big, strong, impressive person? As a king? No, he comes as a baby. As something very small. And when Jesus was born, nobody, it seemed like nobody really knew or even seemed to care about what God was doing. But this is how God often works. God takes small things and makes great things out of them for his glory. And I want us to look, we're going to look today at Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you've got a Bible or the Bible on your phone, you can turn quickly there to Colossians. We're going to look at just a few verses in Colossians chapter 1. But we're going to see a very clear picture of the way God works. He did it at Christmas. He does it even now, all the time, through people like us. Small things, small people, but God's glory is great. And y'all, the reason I wanted us to turn to Colossians, y'all, the Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a town called Colossae. Colossae at one time was a very big, prominent, significant city, but by the time Paul wrote the letter in about the year 60 AD, Colossae had shrunk down into relative insignificance. It was not on the main road. It was not the great city that it once was. And, and it's interesting, y'all, Paul, this is one of the few places where Paul writes a letter to a place he had never been. Colossae was not part of Paul's missionary journeys. Colossae does not show up in the book of Acts. Um, we don't know how many people made up the Colossian church. It was probably smaller than the number of folks that are in this room, though. And right now, if you try to find Colossae on a map, you won't. It's in, it's in what is now Turkey. 
but it's not there. It's been long since forgotten and paved over. And so it's, it's been said by some scholars that if, if Paul had not written this letter, we might not even know that the, the town of Colossae even existed at all. It's an insignificant place, and yet God takes small things, small places, small people, and does great work in us and through us, okay? Now, Paul writes this letter from prison, another small, insignificant, hidden away place. Who even knows the Apostle Paul at this point, where he is or why his words matter? And yet they matter supremely, so much so that God has preserved them for us. So, We're going to look just briefly this morning at some of Colossians 1 to get a sense of what God is doing here and now through what he's done in a church like this one. So look with me at Colossians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. When, when Paul calls himself an apostle, that, that means one sent by Christ. That is a unique office, a unique position that Paul had been granted to be sent directly by Jesus. And Paul's not alone. He's got Timothy with him, and he says, together with Timothy, I'm writing to the saints and faithful brethren at the church in Colossae. Now, I'll make a short point on this, but it's an important one. Paul had never been there. He's writing to people he doesn't actually know, not face-to-face, not by name, perhaps. And yet he knows them in the deepest and most precious way. He calls them brethren, his own brothers and sisters. And y'all, for us, if you are a Christian, to be a Christian is not simply to have a relationship with God, but now we've been given a new family, a new relationship one with another, Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ by faith and receives his salvation now becomes a brother or a sister of everyone else who's done the same. To the point that right now Paul can write this with great sincerity even to people he doesn't know because God is the father of a family that Paul is a part of, that you and I are a part of. Uh, red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight, right? We, we grew up singing a song about Jesus loving everybody, people of all races and nationalities and geography, no matter who you are, where you are, if you are saved by the grace of Jesus, you are now part of his church. And so as we read today, and if we read anything really in the scripture, especially in Paul's letters, Paul was very, very rarely writing to individuals He was writing to the church, y'all, okay? When you see you, so often you should read it as y'all, okay? And so, y'all, as we go through this little portion of the letter today, let's fight the temptation to think of how it only applies to me and how it applies to us, God's church. We're, We're an us, okay? And so Paul greets them as the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. And now that he's greeted them, he wants to glow and gloat a little bit here. He's happy and he's proud of this church. Look at verse 3. He says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, right there, Paul gives the big three, faith, hope, and love, the big three that we see later on, 
in his letter to the Corinthians, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, right? These dominant Christian qualities. He's complimenting these people. He, there, there's faith, there's hope, there's love present among the Colossians. But even as he compliments them, he's giving all the credit, not to them, ultimately, but to God, right? We give thanks to God for you and for who you are, your faith and your love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's God who's reserved their hope in heaven. It's not us, Paul is saying, that deserves the thanks and the praise. It's him, because he's made us, and he's made us all that we are. And so another, a little point here, Paul's not making it directly, only indirectly, but even in his language of thanksgiving, all the credit, all the glory is going where it belongs, right? To Jesus. And y'all, that's not just nice Christian language. Sometimes we say, you know, glory to God, thanks be to God, you know, we, we, and we kind of just, we almost say it without thinking of the foundation of our, of our identity, of our gratitude, of our hope, of everything that we are. It's all Jesus. It's all because of him. You know, that's important because back in Paul's time, there was a lot of false teaching swirling around. Uh, some of it was very subtle. Some of it was very overt, okay? But it was, it was there, very, very present, just as it is today. False teaching is still all around us. But here's the way it went in Paul's time. The church of Colossae, they were hearing this kind of message from the false teachers. It's good to believe in Jesus. We don't deny Jesus. We love Jesus, sure. But you can't really be saved. You can't really be a Christian unless you perform certain rituals, unless you obey certain rules of behavior, unless you achieve certain levels of spirituality. Only then are you really in, like the rest of us. So in other words, Jesus all by himself is not enough for you. Jesus alone is not able to save you. You've got to fill in the gaps. Jesus can get you started, but you ultimately are the one responsible for earning and maintaining your salvation. Okay. Now you say, well, I don't believe that, okay? I'm, I'm impervious to that kind of false teaching. But think about it now, because in the present world that we live in, it doesn't always come to us in the form of religious conversation, but so often we can fall into this trap. If you've ever spent much time on the Internet, I, su I suspect you have, You've come across blogs and articles, podcasts, that uh, I, I call them self-optimization or self-improvement. If you've ever seen an article with a headline like this, 14 things all successful people do before 8 in the morning. You ever seen something like that? And we're, we're prone to click into that because I want to know. I want to know what I ought to be doing before 8 in the morning. If I, I want to be successful. Six ways you've been wrapping Christmas gifts wrong the whole time. You know, as if we didn't have enough burdens on our shoulders already in this world. All, right, all these things that we're doing wrong. Twelve things you must stop eating immediately if you want to live to be a hundred. This, this endless cycle of self-optimization, always trying to be better versions of ourselves. And y'all, if, you, if you've paid any attention to this, it's a cycle that has no end. It's a treadmill, not a track. You never reach the goal when it comes to these things, Right? We fall into this trap when it comes to everyday life. How easy is it, is it to fall into that same trap spiritually? This is what was happening in Colossae. People coming around and saying, hey, Jesus is great, yes, but listen, there's like 41 things you need to do if you're really going to be accepted by God. 
Look at your life. There's all these things you're not doing. And if, if you would do them, then you'd be in. Then you'd be in the inner circle, right? You know, it's easy for us to fall into that same trap, to look at our life, all the things we're not doing well, or all the things the church has convinced us we ought to be doing. The pastor said we ought to do this and this and this and this. And we might walk out the door. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian, given this long list of to-dos that I'm not living up to. But y'all, I want to give you comfort here, the way Paul gives us comfort. The emphasis is not on us in Colossians 1. It's on him. It's on God. We give thanks to God, Paul says in verse 3. Your faith is in Christ, he says in verse 4. The hope reserved for you in heaven. Who made that reservation for you? It wasn't you. The, The hope that we have in heaven is reserved by Christ who has entered in before us and on our behalf. And so the simple point here is this. If you are a Christian, it's not because you managed to fill in all the necessary gaps that God left unfinished on the cross. If you are a Christian, it is because of the gracious work of God alone. So that there's nothing for you and I to add to. There's not a salvation we've been given that needs a little tinkering and a little polishing up from time to time as if we had to improve upon it. No. Y'all, if there's anything good in me or in you, if we bear any good spiritual fruit, if we are saved by grace, then we must say grace alone and nothing that we contribute. And that's why we can say, like Paul says, thanks be to God, our Father, for you. God gets the credit. God gets the glory because God has done all the saving work. And now Paul's going to remind them of how they got this way, okay? Here's who you are, and I love who you are, Paul says, but here's how you became this way. Look again at verse 5 with me. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. How did the Colossian church become the Colossian church? Paul says it very simply. The gospel of Jesus, the word of truth, came to you just as it has gone out into all the world, Paul says, and everywhere it goes, the gospel, the good news, is bearing fruit and increasing. That means not just in places like Jerusalem, not only even in the Roman Empire, but even beyond that. And over time, crazy as it seems, the gospel found its way all the way to Jackson, Mississippi, to Ridgeland, to you and to me. The gospel bears fruit and increases ever more outward, Paul says. But also, it also increases inward. You see that in verse 6? He says, just as the gospel has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. All right, kids, you ready? Hold this thing up. You didn't eat it, did you? I ate one of these earlier just to see what it would taste like. It wasn't great, okay? It didn't, didn't go well. All right, so keep it in your hand. This little acorn right here, this little seed, it goes into the ground. It sprouts, and it grows, right? And as it grows and gets bigger and healthier and more vibrant, it grows eventually to the point where it starts to bear 
fruit. Now, we don't think of this being fruit, but this is what the tree produces, its fruit, which then falls and enters into the ground and becomes its own tree, right? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying in this letter. This is how the gospel of Jesus works. It sprouts, and it grows, and it bears much fruit. It reproduces. The more people who receive the gospel, the more people spread the gospel. And the more the gospel is spread, the more it's heard, and the more it's believed. And that happens, Paul says, all over the world, just as it has. There's outward growth. The more it's shared, the more it's heard, the more it's believed. The seeds are planted. Now, we're going to come back again to this in a minute, okay? But Paul also says, not just outward, inward. The gospel also bears fruit and increases in you. In you. And that may seem less intuitive to us. We understand, we speak it, people believe it. Yes, I get that. But what does it mean that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, bears fruit and increases in us, inside of us, no, I think a lot of us, and I know this because it's true of me, a lot of people approach the Christian life like this. I know I'm a sinner, I come to Jesus, I trust in Jesus, and I receive the forgiveness of my sins. And that makes me a Christian. And of course, we preach that all the time. Of course, yes. But then we come to this place of wondering, okay, now what? Now that I did the most important thing, the necessary initial kind of thing, I trusted Jesus, I got saved, now what? And almost always our conclusion is, okay, now that I've gotten in the door of faith, now I need a list. Now I need commands. And I will do my very best, because I'm a Christian, I will do my very best to keep all the rules just the right way. I'll do my best to stop the bad things and to put good things in their place, because in my mind, that's what it is to be a Christian. It's believing in Jesus, yeah, but then I've got to be a certain kind of of person. So, I think of the gospel as Jesus got me in the door, but now it's up to me to change my behavior. Now, you know, I've, I've lived a certain way for a while. Now I've got to make a hard turn and be somebody different. I've got to fill in all the gaps now. And, I, you know, I want to encourage us today that sir, we never diminish obedience to Christ. But I do want to squash a false understanding of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian does not mean Jesus got us in the door. And now it's up to you to figure the rest out. Now it's up to you to be good. And, you know, as, as the church, we'll give each other the list and we'll hold each other accountable, you know. But ultimately, Jesus got you in. Now you've got to figure it out. You've got to be the kind of person... That, uh, you know, that, that a Christian is, is supposed to be. What the Apostle Paul says here is something different. The gospel, that is the good news that saves us, is not just what gets us started. Paul says it's your whole life. It's the whole of the Christian life. The grace of Jesus is not the only thing, uh, is not meant only to forgive us of our sins. It's the same grace of Jesus that actually brings transformation to our heart and our life. And y'all, if you, if you spend enough time thinking through this or trying to do this, you, you're, you'll figure it out on your own. You can't transform yourself as a matter of your own will and effort. I know you've tried. 
and I've spent years trying, and I continue to fall into that trap, and I make promises to God, I'll never do that again, only to break that promise within a day, usually. Because I don't have it in me to transform myself. Only the grace of God is able to change us. Jesus doesn't just get you in the door and then wish you the best. His grace is for all of life. Okay. Now, a quick example on this from the text. Remember what Paul said to the Colossians. He praises them for the love which you have for all the saints. Meaning, you don't just love each other within your own little church. You love all the saints. Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, in every place, you have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, where did that love come from? Did the Colossians just get saved individually? And then somebody said, now, as a Christian, you have to love everybody. Oh, okay. And so they gritted their teeth, and they tried really hard, and they became loving. That's not how it works. You know that's not how love works. You can't love people like that. No, love doesn't work. That kind of love, this kind of love, doesn't work unless Jesus produces it in us, right? That's why we saw this a few weeks ago as we concluded John 13. A new command I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So you love one another. That's the command. But the command is rooted in something beyond us, something outside of me. The command is rooted in Christ and his love for me, for you, right? And so that, what Paul is commending the Colossians for is not human love merely. It's divine love. You're loving others because Jesus has loved you. When you were at your worst, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's how the love of God has shown itself in your life. And so if the gospel, the good news of God's love for us, has come to us, then that same gospel love that we've received can now be shared. That's the whole point. That's the only way the heart can be changed. And so that's what Paul is commending the Colossians for. Your love for one another is a direct result of the gospel bearing fruit and increasing in you. It's increasing this love that's been divinely given. And it's making you more loving toward others. You know, that's why if you, if you read through Paul's letters, there's 13 uh, of, of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Very often, when Paul gives a command, he roots that command in the good news of Jesus. One of the examples that he gives in, in Colossians later on, he says, forgive each other, Forgive each other, command, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Y'all, if, if the preacher stands up and says, forgive each other, and we're dismissed. If you're like me, you would take that as a burden. That's not good news. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is unnatural. I, but I know I'm supposed to do it, so I better go out and try my best. But that's not how Paul leaves it. Forgive each other, how? Why? just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, rooting the command in the grace of God because you know what it is to be forgiven of a mountain of sins. Sins against God, no less. Now I know what it is to be forgiven. I'm able to forgive others by the inworking grace that's forgiven me. And so y'all, you, you can't 
you can't become loving, you can't become forgiving, or you, you, you can't become morally pure. Whatever the command is, you, you just fill in the blank. You can't simply say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to forgive, I'm supposed to stop doing those things and start doing these things. That, that will not work. It hasn't worked. It didn't work, ever work, never worked for me either. Only by continually looking to Christ, only by the grace of Jesus bearing fruit and increasing in our lives, can that take place, can true transformation happen. That's why Jesus says it, and we'll see it in a few weeks coming forward in John 15. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I abide in you, and therefore you bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Only by abiding in Christ, only by going deeper into Christ, does the tree become fruitful, right? Do we change? And so y'all, again, kids, hold this up. Hold it up. You got it? All right. Y'all, children, the seed of God's truth of the good news of Jesus gets planted into your heart. And I want to tell you, kids, so often, this is a very easy thing for us grown-ups to do. We might say to you, the most important thing in life for you as a child is just to be good and be nice. And I very easily do that with my own kids. I just want you to be nice. As if that's all that really matters. As if that's all, God, God just wants you to be nice. Kids, can I tell you something? That is not God's purpose for your life. Now, we want you to be nice. But see, us grown-ups need to be reminded to be nice too, okay? We struggle with it still. We want to be good and nice. But y'all, for God to love you and create you as a, as a young person, he doesn't look down on you and say, all I made you for was to be nice. No, he made you to know Jesus, to trust Jesus. And this sounds really big, I know, children. But he made you to be like Jesus more and more and more. And it's a little seed to hear of God's love for us, to hear of Jesus dying for us. That's, that's, a, that's a little message. It only takes a moment to hear. But when that seed is planted, God says it will grow. And the good things God desires for you will happen the more God grows in you, the more Jesus becomes the most important thing in your life. And so, y'all, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just get us in the door. Jesus is everything. The gospel is everything. Okay. Now, let's, let's conclude with this. Let's get super practical here. Paul has commended the Colossians on how loving and how great they are. He loves them. He's proud of them. And then he explains to them how they got that way because God's work in them is bearing its fruit and increasing. And now he tells them, how they got that way. How did the gospel come to them in the first place? How did they become Christians to begin with? And it's the most practical little thing here. It's, it's not magical. It's not overly spiritual. Look at verse 7 as we close. He says, Just as you learned it, the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. There's a man named Epaphras, we don't really know much about him, but this is what we think we know. Epaphras was probably from Colossae. He was a Colossian man who received the gospel somewhere else, probably in Ephesus, maybe under the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And when he received the gospel, when Epaphras heard the good news, when the seed was planted in him, 
he went back home with the gospel on his heart and in his, in his mouth. And he shared it with his neighbors. It bore its fruit and it increased. And as his neighbors heard that gospel from him, some of them came to faith and the church of Colossae became what it was. Paul didn't come there. Paul never met those people. It hadn't to this point. Seemingly, none of the apostles ever made a trip to Colossae. But they didn't need to. Because God raised up Epaphras and sent him to his hometown. Y'all, like an oak tree where the acorn falls and the tree now reproduces itself, Epaphras shared the gospel. What had been given to him, he shared with others, and they came to faith. The gospel increased in him, but it didn't remain only with him. He shared it, and therefore it increased beyond him. And y'all, that's a reminder as we close. We praise God for the necessary internal work of the gospel. And y'all, I hope we preach it and model it every single week. That it's the grace of Jesus that does God's great work in our lives. There are no gaps to fill that God leaves us alone to do. Everything we are is because of him, right? But he didn't just save you for your own sake. Part of the reason God saved you was to get to someone else. We're meant to be part of a chain, not the end of the chain. And so we always are meant, like Epaphras, to be praying and looking for opportunity to share the hope of Jesus. And by God's grace, as we share these little seeds, these little gospel truths, God will do the great work of bringing up his fruit. Y'all, one of my favorite verses in the, in the scripture, it's very frustrating, but I love it. When Jesus says in parable, he says, a man sowed seed and then went to sleep, and the seed sprouted and grew, how he did not know. And that's the parable. <laughs> when we share the gospel, we then walk away, in essence. We go to sleep, and God does the great work. God's the one who saves. God's the one who sees to it that the seed is implanted and then grows and bears its fruit. How we do not know. It's not up to me to do God's work for him. But it is up to me by his grace to share it, to sow the seed. That's the blessed opportunity we've been given. Y'all, Colossae was a town so small that you can't find it on any modern map. It's been paved over and, and it's gone, right? And yet God achieved a great and glorious purpose there, an eternally significant purpose, nonetheless. God is not impressed with our greatness, rest assured. But God is also not limited by our weakness or our smallness. And that's good news. The power is always in his grace, no matter how small it seems on the surface, his grace produces great glory in us and through us. So I want us to pray as we end the year that God would do that more and more, his grace bearing its fruit and increasing in and through Harvest Church. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I'm asking this morning for a great work. Lord, we're, we're not going to appeal to you for just small and manageable things. 
we want you to do something great. The same thing you were doing, Lord, all these years ago through Epaphras and this church in, in this little insignificant town. That, Lord, the, the world just passed on by in so many ways. And yet, Lord, you did not. That, Lord, there, there, there are, uh, someone has said there are no small people in your estimation, Father. We, we have a value that is beyond our imagination. We are so loved. Thank you, Father that you have loved us right where we are, in all our smallness, in all our weakness, in all our sin, you've loved us. And Lord, the gospel has come to us and has produced its good fruit. And so, Father, we pray, I pray for all of us this morning, young and old and in between, that we would see these precious seeds of truth planted deep down in our hearts, growing and increasing and bearing good fruits in us, and through us. Father, thank you that there are no gaps left to be filled by our good doing. All, all that we are is a gift of your grace and love. And so as we believe that, Lord, let us be eager all the more to share it so that every little seed in the ground becomes an opportunity for your great and glorious work. In Christ's name, amen.